Hey guys, welcome to the Dog Pod, your source for canine curated content. My name is Rebecca, and today we are talking about kibble, <laughs> essentially where it comes from. And I have to say that learning about this has been very eye-opening, and uh, I can't believe how many things in our world are shaped by marketing. So to kick this off, it really goes all the way back to the evolution of dogs. So it's kind of a debated topic, but dogs started as gray wolves and somewhere between 10,000 and 33,000 years ago, they phenotypically diverged. Phenotypically is the observable physical and biochemical characteristics of an organism as determined by both genetic makeup and environmental influences. It can also be the expression of a specific trait, such as stature or blood type, based on genetic and environmental influences. So essentially talking about the very minute and specific changes to the gray wolf design that created uh, this different line of canine that we now know as domesticated dogs. We started out essentially sharing food and they would eat scraps and uh, from the food that we were already eating. And that was the process up until the next phase. So dogs were used to eating live prey or fermented carrion, like rotting meat, and any scraps that they could find, they've only been introduced to cooked and processed foods in the last hundred years or so. Dogs' physiology, teeth, gut, and digestive tract strongly suggest that they are carnivores. So in the wild, canines would typically go many days between meals, which is not possible for our our floofs. Um, if you've ever looked into the longing eyes of a hungry doodle, you know you can barely go, you know, a few hours between meals. But if you look at their physiology, their teeth and jaw are designed for crushing bones and tearing meat. Uh, they're lacking the proper molar design to take on the grinding required for more leafy options. Nor do they have the multi-chambered stomachs that would assist in the fermentation and digestion of complex carbohydrates. They have large stomachs and short digestive tracts and um, both of those point to a rapid process of nutrient absorption and digestion. The thing that kicked off kibble and dog food was this guy named James Spratt. In 1860, he traveled from Cincinnati, Ohio to the UK and he was selling lightning rods. So he's an electrician. And he noticed that dogs along the riverbanks would eat the leftover hard track, which hard track is this condensed, dry, essentially imperishable item that sailors would take out to sea with them so that they had something that would last them on the long voyages that they would go on. And the leftovers of that would get strewn kind of around the riverbanks and around the boats. Those are biscuits that were made of flour, water, and salt, essentially just all mashed and combined together, um, which side note probably explained a lot of scurvy because I don't know what you're eating in that. So Spratt imagined dog owners needed a shelf-stable option that was like that. He created the first commercial dog food. This was a dog biscuit made with wheat, vegetables, beet root, and beef blood, or maybe the dried, unsalted, gelatinous parts of the prairie beef, which <laughs> was essentially his nondescript way of saying, 
saying, there's something meaty in here, but I'm not going to give away all the secrets of my recipe. So that was kind of a close kept or guarded uh, aspect of what was in these dog biscuits by James Spratt in particular. But anyway, um, he described it as an undisclosed meat source eventually. And um, so these biscuits were expensive. For a 50 pound bag, that would equal out to an entire day work for a skilled craftsman. So Spratt wasn't really aiming for a lower income or wage earners. He was more aiming for the English gentleman that could afford that kind of price. And so he priced it appropriately for the segment that he was aiming for. And this was advertised as the dog's primary food source. So by the time the 1870s roll around, the American operations are launched for Spratt's dog biscuits, and he's aggressively targeting the health-conscious pet owners. He bought the full front cover of the first issue of the American Kennel Club Journal in January 1888, and he would ask friends that were of a higher status within society to provide testimonials. His rich, established Englishman who would tout the benefits of Spratt's dog cake. And he also pioneered the concept of animal life stages, creating food that was appropriate for their pets at each stage. And in the 1900s, convenience was winning out as more people took notice of commercial dog food. So it's funny to actually trace the creation and kind of segmentation of this market right back to the 1860s and the, the moment when this thing was created. It's actually very similar to the way it is today. We might not use beetroot, but I mean, we have a very similar process and, uh, and ideas that he had all the way back then are still ideas that are touted today. And the, you know, the concept of animal life stages still exists where we have puppy food and adult uh, food sources. And that idea doesn't really have a lot of backing in science. So not to give away the ending here, but it's, I think that's just something to, you know, flag right off the bat is that as we edge into this, you're going to see a lot of things that were created at this time uh, that were just kind of marketing ploys and were not really backed by scientific knowledge. So the dog food market was booming by the 1920s, and in 1922, kennel ration hit the shelves. And this was the first canned dog food that was made of lean red meat, which is also known as horse meat. And it took 90% of the market share, so it was the most popular choice at the time. But World War II kicked in and caused tin and meat to be rationed, so dog food and the dog food creators had to get creative. Many horses were used for the war and now they were bringing them back and they had this huge supply of horses so horse meat was booming and of course they were using it in their foods and horses were being bred and slaughtered just for canned dog food and often they would hit a point where they would not have enough and they would go out and round up wild horses that was kind of a free source of meat and they would slaughter them for the dog food. But uh, in 1952, the New York Times revealed that half a million horses were being killed in the United States every year, and some of the meat secretly being sold as beef to unaware consumers. I thought it was really interesting that they called that out, because that really 
changed people's perspective on really trying to look into like what is the meat source in the products that we're buying, especially if we're being tricked into buying, you know, horse meat instead of the beef that we think we're getting. That was a huge story. And eventually by the 1970s, uh, using horses was, uh, especially wild horses, was outlawed. So it was something that was frowned upon by that point. General Mills acquired Spratts in the 50s, and the Ralston Purina Company started to experiment with the machines they used for their Chex cereal. So in 1956, dry kibble was produced using the extrusion process, which is how many of the foods that we know and love uh, are made, which is forcing dough through a kind of cooking and squishing process um, that eventually forces it through a dye and into molds that are then uh, steamed or cooked really quickly and dried so that the food becomes shelf stable and can be sold in bags on shelves everywhere and that's what we've come to know as kibble. Um, and this process became the process of choice in the 60s and 70s as producers created uh, new varieties and flavors. So it's interesting when we look back at this process and how we've come up to where we are today because you really see the turning point and the power of marketing through the 60s and 70s and how it's really changed our mindset on what dogs are fed and what kind of foods are appropriate for them. So in 1964, a group of pet food industry lobbyists called the Pet Food Institute launched a series of ads aimed at convincing consumers that commercially prepared dog food was the only choice for your dog. And they were highly successful, obviously. I mean, please see your nearest pet food aisle or store for reference. Uh, Kibble was established as the leading pet food option from that point forward. As per marketing tactics, dog foods then sought niche targeting tactics to create different desirable options for consumers. For instance, in the 80s, Hills Pet Nutrition Company introduced prescription kibble for different ailments, aka kidney or liver failure. This continued into the 90s where they were producing foods that were based on activity level or weight management. I would definitely want to call some of this out as in, first of all, we've had several recalls in kibble in the last God knows how many years. And some of those recalls are actually related to kidney or liver failure. And it's because the kibble that they're consuming is actually lacking the proper nutrients for proper kidney or liver function. And being able to keep that nutrition level at the right point and the absorption of the proper nutrients is incredibly difficult, if not not doable, um, for dry kibble. And that kidney and liver failure, you know, coming out in the 80s and Hill's Pet Nutrition Company targeting that and then selling and thus connecting themselves up to veterinarians. And now they've become, you know, a major producer being sold directly through veterinary offices. Um, you see that linking all the way back to this. And it's almost like they created the problem that then they solved, which sickens me that they were doing that with our pets and that they still are in some ways. 
And some of the recalls that have come out recently have been related to, um, you know, the grain-free options that are on the market and how dogs can't actually process like lentils, for instance. And lentils has been one of the new kind of fillers that were put into these, quote, grain-free options or um, that were used in kind of protein exclusive kibbles. And there is a lot to be said for the use of kibble and why it is the choice for companies and producers of dog food that would not necessarily be the reason behind why other people would choose it. Um, Because kibble is really quick and easy to produce and sell. And because it's an uncomplicated option that quite frankly, can be mass produced and left on shelves forever. Not forever, but I just mean like it stays there for a long time. It's not going to go bad. You're not looking at a fresh fruit option. So the fact that they can create this product that then sits on the shelves for unlimited amount of time and that they, you know, are only being held to a very low standard of nutritional value. So one of the issues with kibble is that it it is still the major choice among pet owners. So 90% of people still feed their dogs kibble. And this is a 60% carbohydrate diet with little to no incorporated moisture and minimal low quality protein. So Dogs Naturally magazine also says in their article about kibble, why it's not a good option for your dog, that much of the protein in kibble comes from plants anyway. So dogs are still missing out on their most naturally essential food source. Studies have proven that dogs fed kibble age faster and develop more issues later in life, and I would argue probably throughout their lives. They did a study in where dogs were actually fed the same diet as their owners. So essentially they ate dinner together and dogs just had a portion that was for them. And those dogs lived almost three years longer in the one study that they did. So that's a it's a really fascinating um, comparison. Kibble is loaded with toxins as well. So it's stripped of nutrients and that all happens through the extrusion process. The synthetic vitamins that they use to refortify their foods to meet the AAFCO or the Association of American Feed Control Officials standard causes stress in the liver and kidneys as the dogs cannot process them. So the kidney and liver issues that dogs are experiencing are predominantly related to poor nutrition that is coming from the kibble that they're being fed. So my discomfort with all of this is ever growing and I just want to be honest I'm not really coming at this as a first of all a person who feeds their dog raw food I feed my dog kibble I'm right there with 90% of the population so going through this was eye-opening for me and this is readily available information that a lot of different dog-centric blogs or accounts or whatever it might be uh, newspapers even um, those articles are readily publishing all of this information. So it's not like this is hidden. It's just a lot, you know, 90% of people still feeding their dogs kibble are not really digging into the situation for all these details. And as I went through this, it was really difficult for me to keep reading it, especially looking at the fact that they put these synthetic vitamins onto, quote, into their foods um, to then fortify them and make it so that when that food is tested 
by the AAFCO. It's, it meets the standards for them, and yet when it's fed to dogs, they can't actually process the synthetic vitamins that they've fortified the food with to, in order to get it to meet the standards to be sold. There's a, a huge gap in the system there that we are just letting slide at this point. And that's just the red flag of all of this, is that the industry is not very regulated, meaning producers get away with cutting corners at our pet's expense, leading to recalls and lawsuits. Again, some of the marketing tactics that get utilized are using words like premium, which is undefined, unregulated term, anything can be premium. I could put premium on a McDonald's meal and put premium on a, you know, fresh cooked meal from a beautiful restaurant and it would not be um, restricted from being sold in any way just because the word itself is ambiguous to the actual regulators of the market. Beef dinner or turkey stew only has to contain a smidgen of real beef or turkey. Um, all natural with X, Y, and Z means that the X, Y, and Z is not all natural. Essentially, it says all natural and then says except for this, but they will group it all together like that so that they're being honest, but it still gets to utilize the language that they want promoted with their product, which would be the words all natural. Organic can mean many things as well as it does in the human food industry as well. Um, supplements are a gimmick. If it is an essential nutrient, it's already in there. If it is anything else, there is no good science behind it. Um, one of the main things that I read was, um, first of all, if it can be canned or bagged, it's never fresh. So that's just something to keep in mind as you're going out there and buying food for your pet know that it's not fresh, that it's processed. This would be the same as you constantly buying only foods that are canned in order for you to consume. So how often do you do that? Decide. And also breed specific foods like with supplements that are meant to be specific for the type of dog that you have. There is zero science behind any of that. So, you know, these companies are just looking for new tactics to grab up niche markets in order to get you hooked or get your dog hooked on their product. And you do not have to buy into that. So where I really take issue with this whole process and all of the information that I've gleaned from the research thus far was that kibble is actually the capitalistic answer for dog food and is not necessarily a consumer's answer for it. And so we have been convinced by the marketing ploys of these companies that this is what serves as the nutritional necessities for your dog. But the reality is these products are not really doing well nutritionally for your dog. So we are being sold a really low quality product. In fact, I would suggest that kibble is the fast food of dog food and it would be like having a McDonald's meal every single day and that's all you mainly eat and feeding that to your dog every single time. That's a really hard comparison, especially for me who does feed my dog kibble. So um, trying to choose the best kibble is in turn trying to choose the best fast food restaurant because this answer and the creation of kibble was not something that came out of 
you know, a study into dogs and their nutrition and what would work best for their bodies. It is essentially what came out of a, a guy who found this idea sitting out there in the 1860s, latched onto it, promoted it correctly, marketed the hell out of it, latched onto the right people, made it so that it was a publicly known product that then became widely successful and everyone came to know it as such. And it has been built into our psychology and our, you know, cultural fabric ever since. But it's not actually meeting the needs of our dogs. And that's the issue here. So just to refer back to the Pet Food Institute, for instance, was which was established in 1958. This was the group of lobbyists that created advertisements promoting kibble as the nutrition source for dogs and really solidified it in our minds through the 60s and 70s that this is the only way to feed our pet. Um, but it is not a regulatory body. It's an organization that helps shape many of the policies at the state level. And what bothers me about it is that it doesn't actually represent the interests of the consumers and of their dogs. It represents the companies and the manufacturing, you know, hubs of all of these companies and what their processes are. The Association of American Feed Control Officials, or the AAFCO, is also a voluntary membership association of local, state, and federal agencies. Their members are charged by their local, state, or federal laws to regulate the sale and distribution of animal feeds and animal drug remedies. So the AAFCO is a private, not-for-profit corporation. Um, they have a process for defining ingredients used in animal feed and pet food. And there's a forum where state agencies, federal agencies, and industry develop uniform language that states may adopt or reference in law. So two meetings per year that include specialized training for members and industry. So this private nonprofit corporation is essentially meeting with state agencies, federal agencies, and industry members to develop language that then is referenced in laws. So they're not actually doing anything to represent the interests of your pet per se. They will do some bare minimum things to curb the industry so that it provides a bare minimum of support towards your pets. But again, they are predominantly, they're politicians and they're people that are working for these manufacturers and they're not actually, you know, pulling on the human and dog interest in this case. I think that that's lacking in a lot of So I looked into what we also have going on in Canada and the Pet Food Association of Canada or PFAC is an industry association comprised of pet food manufacturers and companies that supply materials or services to the pet food manufacturing industry. Our members are committed to producing wholesome and nutritious foods for pets in Canada and around the world. The mission 
of PFAC is to instill in the Canadian consumer confidence about the wholesomeness and quality of commercially prepared pet foods through the, the development and promotion of the highest standards in pet food manufacturing. So the mission is to instill confidence in commercially prepared pet foods. They might as well be doing what the lobbyists did in the 60s to instill confidence in Canadian consumers in commercially prepared pet foods. Like, why is that the goal of the Pet Food Association of Canada? Why is the goal to instill confidence? Like, I, I just, I don't understand this language or lingo. Uh, the fact that the goal is not the health of our pets and the manufacturing standards are only held to the highest of the standards in the pet food manufacturing industry. It's not held to the standards of food and nutrition for instance. Like, I do think that these are major things to kind of pull out of here and to be aware of is that, you know, kibble and going back to what this episode's about is kibble is created as uh, a commercially profitable food source for pets. It's not created to satisfy the basic nutritional and health needs of your pet. It will satisfy those enough that your pet does not perish instantly. And so it's meeting some of the basic needs of them as mammals, but it's not meeting their needs in a lot of other ways. And we can see the gaps in the industry thus far and how those gaps were created. And essentially how, quite frankly, it's an industry that's almost completely unregulated. It just seems like there is a huge disconnect between the production of dog food and the nutritional value of that product and what our dog's needs are actually are. And there's no one who is at the appropriate level to manage that that's actually doing that. Kibble is not actually produced in the best interests of your dog. Kibble is technically produced to meet the basic standards that have been set by the pet food manufacturing industry, but it is not entirely developed with the interest of your dog in mind. Because if it were, it wouldn't be kibble. Like the issue around being served this incredibly dry substance that then, for instance, dogs eat a bunch of and then drink water and it all expands in their stomach and they have a huge bloat afterwards. And that bloat happens every single time they eat. Like that's a that's an ongoing issue and that's just like a very basic issue. It's crazy to think that there's not that science to kind of line up the fact that dogs can't uh, properly absorb some of the artificial nutrients that are put onto their foods. And yet those are the nutrients that are allowing these products to even be on the shelves and what the industry is demanding. Like there's just, there's so many gaps. I am, I'm a bit at a loss. So all that to say, if you're feeding your dog kibble, so am I. And I know why I choose kibble at this point. Quite frankly, a lot of it's financial, but you know, as I progress into different phases of my life, I'm sure that I will have the ability to make different and better choices. But the reality is I think that we need a change in the regulation and moderation of this industry. And uh, it needs to happen way up the chain. And I think that this concept and this priority is fairly new in that we have always valued our pets. And obviously James Spratt knew that and thought, hey, 
I can make a profit off the value we put on our pets. It's just he ended up creating and marketing a really crappy product for our dogs and we're still feeding it to them today. Um, I will have links on my social media accounts so you can go and check out some of the pages and um, posts that I referenced in the creation of this podcast. You can find me on Instagram at thedog.pod and also on YouTube. Uh, again, we will have more videos coming up in December that have a bit more length to them. So subscribe and follow. I'm sending you and your dog some extra belly rubs. Have a great day.